Well, I know some of you are excited. We're finally out of Acts 2. We've been sitting in Acts 2 for three weeks, and so finally we're moving along as we're going through this series, Becoming a Contagious Christian. What do we see in the early church in terms of how they have a passion for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? As our forefather John Wesley would say, this is why we exist. We have nothing to do but save souls. I got the text last night from Corey. It wasn't just one. We had several students say yes to Jesus Christ for the first time uh, this past weekend at Disciple Now. That's why we exist, to share the grace and the love and the hope and the life of Jesus Christ with others. And so that's what we're doing. We're walking through the book of Acts together, seeing their life and, and saying, how's that to be our lives? Seeing, seeing their creativity and their intentionality and saying, how is it, Lord, that you could use me? to live out the faith so others can see Christ, but even to take advantage of, of those few opportunities that come up to be faithful, expectant, and ready to be able to share the good news of Jesus. Let's look to Stephen's life. We'll walk in, in, through these scriptures looking at Stephen's life, and then after that, we're going to have a, just a time of teaching about how we can share our faith better. There's two things you notice, and it's really not about Stephen. There's two things we see about Jesus in these few verses. Going to verse 55, the first thing we notice is that Jesus is present. Jesus is with Stephen. There is much we can say and debate, and we have in some of our Bible studies about this issue of suffering. Why do good, why do people who love Jesus fully suffer like Stephen and Paul and James and Peter? Why does that happen? We can have those debates. But in the midst of suffering, we see some very clear things about our Lord. We see that Jesus takes notice of our suffering, that he is present with us. Some people might say, you know, Jesus, and he doesn't hear, and he doesn't sometimes with our health issues or our family issues. We say, why, Lord, why did you just turn that you look at this and we say lord why didn't you intervene in stephen's life and save his life y'all he had intervened with his own life for stephen's life eternally and he does that for us i don't know why we get yeses some days and no's some days in very very deep struggles like here it was for stephen but but christ is faithful he had already intervened in stephen's life and had given his own life for stephen that he might have life with Christ always. We don't always get the answer, but we're reminded here that Jesus is still on the throne and Jesus is present with us, still interceding for us. Jesus was faithful even in this horrific moment for Stephen. Jesus was faithful to him. And there's a critical step here that Stephen took that I struggle with, maybe you struggle with. When there's real pain, when there's real brokenness in family, when there's real hurts at work, whatever that may be, the tendency is to, to just look at the hurt. The tendency is to just focus on the hurt. And what we see here in Stephen's life is he puts his eyes on Jesus. His gaze is on heaven. And there and in that moment, Jesus is able to let him know that he is with him. The heavens open. Now, that doesn't happen for all of us to have that kind of miraculous moment in a time of crisis or hurt. Yesterday in church history, we celebrated the martyrdom of the Bishop of Smyrna, uh, Polycarp. He was a disciple of John. His martyrdom was a miraculous 
martyrdom. The things he was able to say that uh, the church has reported to us is just miraculous. But the things that happened is they tried to burn him at the stake, but they couldn't. They tried and they tried, but he wouldn't burn. And so finally, uh, they were going to stab him. But even before that, they said, when you're trying to burn somebody, there's a horrific smell that usually accompanies that. Accompanies that. All we smell is bread. The church understanding the bread of life was with, was with Polycarp that day. And finally, when they did kill him, since he wouldn't burn, they stabbed him. They said that the blood, the little blood that came out of him, just quenched the whole fire, went out. It's this miraculous moment of the heavens opening, of, God's being pre- of God being present. And there are days where we don't have that. We look to heaven and say, Lord, I wish I had this big moment. But what we're reminded of here is this truth that Jesus is present. And church, this is a good reminder for us. A lot of the ways in which Jesus works to be present is you. Sometimes the clouds don't open. They did for Jesus on multiple occasions in his ministry when he needed that. And my prayer and hope is that the Spirit will come to you, as Paul said to the church, and his Spirit will testify to your spirit that you are his, and that will be your encouragement in those times when you're having to press through struggles and when you're, when you're being crushed because of your faith and people are you know, ridiculing you, whatever that might be. But typically what we see is it's a timely letter. It's a phone call. It's a hug. It's a word of encouragement when the church gets to be Christ for their brothers and for their sisters. It's a great need in the church. You know, Paul lost that. At one point in this, in Acts, Paul loses Mark. And then later, Paul loses Barnabas. But it's just like God. All of a sudden, there's Timothy and there's others. It just, just, Christians taking up the place of being the voice of God, the help of God, the presence of God. But again, we rest in, 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 the, in the hope and in the knowledge that for Stephen here, Jesus was present. And he's present with us when we struggle. But not only was Jesus present, this is a great testimony of Stephen's life. Jesus was imitated. Stephen's life and his martyrdom was Christ's life. I mean, you just watch these verses, 59 through 60. You, you have Stephen preaching just like Jesus did. Jesus' first sermon is repentance, and you get that here from Stephen. Jesus is filled by the Holy Spirit. Stephen's filled by the Spirit. They both saw the heavens open. They're both taken outside the city to be killed. They're both unlawfully killed. They both offer up their spirits to the Lord, and they both forgive. My life is to mirror his life. I write his life upon my life. And you see that here beautifully uh, for Stephen. And it it happens not because of some legalistic following. I remember Jesus forgave, so I forgive. The heart of that is the heart. It's because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Y'all remember a couple of years ago, I had to do the terrifying task of filling Renee's shoes one day. and we, We had a cup. And, uh, I had filled it with little pieces of paper and asked those kids, would you shake that cup? And they shook it, and all these pieces of paper came flying out of the cup. They loved doing that. And I asked them, why did, why did these pieces of paper come out of the cup? And some of them wanted to say, well, it's because we shook your arm. That's not why pieces of paper came out of the cup. Why did, why did the pieces of paper come out of the cup? Because there were pieces of paper in the cup. When you are shaken... <laughs> 
We all are. If we're living for Jesus, there are going to be decisions we make in dating or in marriage or in how we parent or in how we spend, how we'll compete on the field, what we will say and what we won't say, what we will laugh at. When you are, when you are put to the test by somebody who's pushing back on that, what spills out of you? What spills out of Stephen's life is Jesus' life. It matches his life, but it's because he's been filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 35, Stephen was full of the Spirit. One of the greatest gifts you will give our culture is to have your life match Jesus' life. When they see you forgive like Jesus forgave, when they see you live like him, when they see the compassion of Jesus in your life, the peace of Jesus in your life, uh, and Stephen here gives us a beautiful gift, uh, a holy life. I've I had purchased uh, George Barna's report on evangelism 2018, a very comprehensive study, and that, that just came in this week. And one of the authors of that study said, it is indispensable and non-negotiable in evangelism to have a witness of a holy life. When our lives look like Jesus' life, that, that earns us the right, that opens the door for people to, to talk to us about our faith. Jesus is present and Jesus is imitated. But let's talk about Stephen, this one who was so faithful to do that. Do you remember who Stephen is? Go, you go back a chapter and he's one of the few picked out as the disciples were saying, listen, we're so busy, we need to be praying and preaching. We need some people to take care of some needs within the church with widows. Would you, we just need some lay people. Would, would a few of y'all, like seven of y'all, would y'all take care of that? And Philip and Stephen and others says, yeah, we'll do that. Stephen's a lay person, not a preacher person, but a lay person who simply just said, yes, I'd like to serve. Not, not a disciple trained up to be an apostle, not one commissioned to, to lay hands on people or to cast out demons, a Christian who just wants to follow Jesus and serve people. And he is the first martyr of the Christian church. James will follow very shortly. But the first one who gives their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ is just a person who said, I want to I serve others. Um, it's a great, great reminder to us about how critical that is. In that, in that study, by the way, they asked these questions, these national polls of the American church, they asked questions, what, what interests you in the gospel? And more importantly, when you had a confrontation with the gospel, did that confrontation, that, that sharing of the gospel, encourage you or discourage you to continue in searching out Christ? You want to take a wild guess what handing out Bible tracts ranked on that list? Or street preaching ranked on that list? It was at the bottom. Now, there's a place for that because my father-in-law, who may be the greatest Christian I know, was won over by a street preacher. He was out one night, and I don't know if, I can't remember if they were inviting people to events or whatever, and a guy came up to him and said, oh, you're at this particular church. Yeah, let me make sure you understand who Jesus is. It was like two to three hours that they debated back and forth that this gentleman, and, and Dr. Joe was just, a young whippersnapper at that point, 17, 18, just invest in his life and talk to him for hours. And then he said to him, and we've been talking about this on Wednesday night, about how to pray with somebody if they're coming to Christ. He says, Joe, I want you to pray. Tell Jesus you're loving, you want him to forgive your sins, come to God, pray. And so Joe prayed the prayer. 
And then the guy said, that wasn't good enough, Joe. Pray again. And here's what you need to pray. I mean, he was making sure it got done right. And then he said, Joe, what time is it? We've been here two or three hours. It's about 8 o'clock. Great. You know what? The movie theater's about to let out. Come on. And they walked down to the movie theater. That was a big deal. The whole town was at the movie theater. It let out. And as they came out, this gentleman said, y'all, this young man, Joe Martin, has just said yes to Jesus Christ. Joe, don't you want to tell him about it? <laughs> now, I bet some seeds were planted that day. There are times we looked at several styles of evangelism, confrontations, one of those. And when the Spirit says you speak up, you speak up with the peace and the grace of Jesus, as Scripture would say, with gentleness and reverence. But the Spirit leads Stephen, Paul, Peter, church, you speak up. And Joe testified that day. But that's not usually how it happens. The number one way, that's like 10% of people came away encouraged by that. Most people came encouraged, uh, 62%. A Christian listened to me. The next one below that was, this Christian was interested in my story. Not getting me saved, not pushing Jesus on me. They really were concerned about me. Evangelism just to get a number is not evangelism. That's not biblical. But if you love somebody enough to get to know them, build a relationship with them, that's what people will respond to. Um, it's critical uh, for us. And it's interesting, too, the last thing from this study that said the number one way to win people to Jesus is through casual conversations and we're just seeing that, how God, like here with Stephen and on, is winning many more people to Jesus Christ through the laity than he is the clergy, okay? Especially in our last 20, 30 years in America. People have given up on institutions, don't trust institutions, don't trust preachers. It's when the lay people of the church will just say, love people, build relationships with non-Christians, and then look for opportunities to share about Jesus. Uh, the last part of that, that uh, study said this. Guess who the church did say ought to do evangelism, though, when they polled Christians across the nation? Ben. That's what came out of that poll. Ben or a church program? That's not how the gospel works. The bridges of God are the people of God. It's not going to come through the clergy. I hope Ben and I are being faithful. I hope Linda's being faithful. Corey's being faithful, our staff's being faithful to share the gospel, but it's everyday casual uh, conversations. In 1993, we moved from 89% of Christians in America believe that it was their responsibility to find ways, not to be overbearing, but to find ways to share Jesus. That number's hovering around 60% now. We've dropped 25 to 30% in just a couple of decades. Ah, let's, it's the church. It's not how it happens in Acts chapter 7, and it's not how it happens now. We see in Stephen's life what happens when you and I will, will just simply share Jesus. And listen, I get it. You may feel, oh, that's, I don't know, I don't want to mess things up. It's not about you. That's between the Lord and the person you're sharing with. You want to be prepared, you want to be faithful, but that's on the Lord and that person. Even C.S. Lewis, if you know C.S. Lewis, who wrote Mere Christianity, The Chronicles of Narnia, Abolition of Man, all these great works. C.S. Lewis, a friend of mine, had, had uh, an older friend of mine, knew C.S. Lewis, who was in England studying, and saw Mr. Lewis and exclaimed to him, Reverend Lewis, how are you? And even C.S. Lewis stepped back and said, no, 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 you don't call me that. I'm a professor of English, or professor of literature. He didn't want that title. 
C.S. Lewis, this great apologist of the faith who's helping people grow in their No, don't call me reverend. So I get we can step back. I get that. I don't want to mess things up. God wouldn't count me worthy to do this. Stephen just wanted to help, help some widows. And we are still, still being blessed by his testimony and by the faithfulness of his life. Okay. Um, just a couple of things then to share as we close. Just some teaching time every week. We just want to have some teaching time as we think through. If that opportunity happens, and, and this falls in my lap with people, and I'm building relationships with non-Christians, how is it you go about starting a spiritual conversation with somebody? I, I would encourage you, and we didn't get time to finish last week, it, that, that it'd probably be better to, to bring up spiritual things early uh, just so it's kind of on the table, but don't be awkward about that. Look for ways to naturally segue into that conversation, especially maybe to use questions, you know, or just an open-ended a statement where they can get back to you. I know one famous preacher would say, hey, if you ever want to know, if they bring up anything spiritual, if you ever want to know the difference between, between religion and Christianity, I'd love to talk with you about that. That's a great way to do that. It puts it in their court. If they want to get, get to you, uh, they, they, they can uh, get back to you. Another preacher said um, simply to, to ask this question. You ever think about spiritual things? And that's not, you're not asking them to say the sinner's prayer. Do you ever think about spiritual things? Eight, about 80 plus percent of Americans believe in some kind of God. Most of you, so you're shooting four, you hit, you hit four for five, you're a Hall of Fame baseball player, all right? So most people you're going to talk to, especially where we are in the Bible Belt, have some sense of spirituality. That's a great question. Do you ever think about spiritual things? Questions are, questions are great. My wife's not here. We've, we've got somebody we're ministering to in the city, and she's, she's with her today, taking her to a church there, and trying to help her feel comfortable, and uh, Sarah's doing this wonderful thing, and, uh, but I'm just going to pick on her since she's not here and I can't get in trouble. So when my wife, when my wife, and we're at dinner, and she asks, how's your food? That's not what she means. What does she mean? Give me a bite of that. It's exactly, I've, it took me decades of marriage to figure that out. When she says, how's your food, that means give me a bite of that thing, right? So you ask questions, but they're loaded questions. You're hoping for a response. I've told you before, I was on a ski trip years ago, and I was riding because like 6'4", and skiing does not work well, and I uh, uh, was riding on the bunny slopes learning to ski, and this, this uh, teenage kid was riding with me up to the, on the lift, and I was like, man, how am I going to start a spiritual conversation? Well, I need to ask a question. And if you ask a person a certain question, usually they'll ask that question back to you. What do you do for a living, Right. So I asked him, do you believe in the hellfire? No, I didn't ask that. I started with, no. I said, what are you doing here? Because I was there leading a student retreat. So I knew he was going to ask me back. And I was, so I just said, what are you doing here? And he shared his life with me. And then he said, what are you doing here? And I was able to say, well, you know, I'm here talking about Luke 15 with a bunch of students just like you about a God who won't let us go. God who's moved in his belly for his people. And again, it was a beautiful conversation just on an open-ended question. So questions are a great way. So we're building relationships uh, with people. That's a direct way to be able to, to hopefully open some conversations. Now, most, most of the ways you work are, are, if you're following along in your notes, are in indirect ways. You build on current conversations. You, you kind of judge where you are in the relationship or the friendship. Maybe it's through music or hobbies or sports, movies, just Ways, again, to naturally build. Joking again, you don't, like, 
Mississippi summer, phew, it's hot, isn't it? And your friend tells you that, and you come back, it's not as hot as, no, you know, don't, don't do that. You, uh, it's got to be natural. It's got to be gentle and reverent. But there are indirect ways to talk about spiritual things. Most people have no problem talking about themselves and talking about what they believe. And if they're friends and you've built a relationship well with somebody, they, they care about your story. They care about what you hold dear. And then the third one, this is such an important uh, part of this, is invitational. Uh, and again, I would encourage you, those invitations don't always have to be to church. You kind of have to gauge people. And, and, and it's important, too, those invitations can be on needs. If, it's, if, it's, if you notice that somebody has a need for, for justice or to help others, don't invite them to our church. Invite them to Delta Grace. If somebody's struggling financially, don't say, well, get, come to church so Jesus can show you how to spend. Lori led a financial peace university. That was a great way for us to, 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 to invite people to our church without getting them to, to church. If, if, if uh, somebody's struggling in, in, in other ways, uh, maybe it's in parenting. Corey and Renee have been great. Once a quarter, they're talking with parents about how do you, how do you grow your, your kiddos. Invite them to that. Maybe it is to church, but you gauge their readiness. But invitation is, most people respond to an invitation. And make sure when you, res when you invite that you, you love them well, that you do something with them maybe after church or wherever. You celebrate that invitation. You thank them for that. And, and again, if they say no, you back off and, and you let them walk. Um, again, that's risky stuff. I know that. Peter to stand up at Pentecost, risky stuff. Here for Stephen, risky and deadly stuff. You get a little, just a few chapters later in Acts 11, literally, the church basically starts around Caesarea. Caesarea was a town, that's where Pilate stayed, that cultured town that when a play called for violence, they killed a slave. When the play called for something wild and bizarre, they had the slaves reenact what was wild and bizarre. That's where God said, go, get, go share the God. Are you, are you kidding Look, they didn't even wear anything when they were practicing for the Olympics there. That's awkward enough. Go to that place where they do, I mean, there's an Olympic field where they, I'm like, yes, Peter. Yes, church. You build relationships with people who need to know me. And I know it's risky. I know it's risky. But you go. And then the heart of that, y'all, the heart of that is, if you're looking around, if you don't mind, just look at your, uh, your notes for me, just as we have two or three minutes to close. I'd love to talk with you more about this, but the heart of it is what, what, what uh, Carrie sang about today, and we sang about to, and, and have sung about all day, is your Jesus story. It's important for us to think through, because Jesus is the heart of our faith, and that's, that's, that's who we share, uh, is Jesus. Just to be ready with your Jesus story, to be able to say, this is who I was, this is who I was before I met Jesus. That's a part of your testimony. And some of you don't have that testimony like I do where it was night and day. Ben just shared his testimony with us recently. A night and day kind of conversion. Most of you, like my wife, most of you could say, you know, I've always been in church. I've always loved Jesus. That's a good testimony. She could talk a whole lot about God and a lot less about yourself and say, even when I didn't fully understand, uh, the Lord was working in my life here. But you need to have a story of who you were before you met Jesus. And then you need to be able to say, in the two-minute period, this is how I met Jesus. And however you met him has to be repeatable. If you say, I met Jesus at a Billy Graham crusade, 
Guess what? There's not gonna, they're not doing crusades. Promise keepers didn't do Nobody's doing crusades much anymore. I know there's an event coming to Jackson soon. There's not many crusades. So you need to say and, 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 and fashion in a way that's repeatable, this is how I met Jesus. And a part of that has to be forgiveness of sin. And then the next part, and we forget this part, as we said two weeks ago, salvation is so much more than we think. This is who I am after I met Jesus, okay? And then, and then just tie a theme to it. For me, whether, whether it was family or school and moving, I went to, I think it was five different schools in six years, you know, just trying to fit in and, and always feeling this pressure to impress through grades and athletics and leadership, all that stuff, not feel, and always moving and just notice me with somebody. And I just remember wrestling with that, and that's a part of my Jesus story. And then I, then I met Jesus. My youth pastor told me one night, he just loves you. <laughs> you just give your life to him and he'll love you. And then, and then to look at my life after and some of, the, some of the freedom he's given to my life, to not race after affirmation, to not have to. And that's a good little three-handle story. This is who I was. This is how I met Jesus. This is what he's doing in my life now. I wonder if you just take a few minutes today or this week. Work on those three handles, Okay. So it was before. And again, you don't want to take 20 minutes on that. Some of y'all could. I know some of your stories, okay? It's not about you. It's about Jesus. But at least to let him know, here's where I was for 30, 45 seconds. But here's how I met Jesus, and it's in a re- repeatable way. But this is what he's done in my life. I still struggle. But Jesus has made a difference. And then you just ask an open-ended question. What, what part of that story resonates with you? What, is, is, that, is that something you would like to know more about and what Jesus, whatever that may be, just a question. Um, again, it's on the Lord, it's on the person to receive that, but church, we always want to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. With reverence, with gentleness, yes, but ready to give an answer. As I prayed this morning, I want to pray a prayer of John Wesley to close our time as we respond. So let's, let's pray together. Father, let your unwearied and tender love to me make my love unwearied and tender to my neighbor. Zealous to pray for and to promote his or her health, safety, ease, and happiness. Make me also active to comfort, help, and relieve anyone in need. Make me peaceful and reconcilable, easy to forgive, and glad to return good for evil. Make me like yourself all kindness and harmless, all goodness and gentleness, all meekness and long-suffering. And, O lover of souls, bring to flower in me compassionate zeal to save the life, the eternal life of souls by affectionate advice at just the right moment and exhortations and reproof to reclaim them and to win them to your love. Amen. Our closing hymn is all.